Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. Morning. Morning to you there in online land. Good to see you in online land. I'm, my name is Wes. I'm the mission pastor here at North. We have a special service for you today. Um, we're going to share with A.T. Holder about what the Lord has been doing, is doing now, and will continue to do through him. And our, our sermon today, if you will, is in story form. It's in testimony form. Uh, we'll, we'll look at the characteristics of, of God and what that looks like for, for A.T. and his ministry. And then uh, at the end of our service today, uh, Jay's going to come up and finish our sermon, and then we're going to have celebrate communion together. So that's kind of the flow. So if you organizers, you detail people in there, in the room, at, online, like this is what's going to happen over the next 35, 40 minutes, all right? You ready for that? So Jay has promised he's only going to share for 8 to 10 minutes, and so I told him thank you for sharing for 15 minutes today. I appreciate that, <laughs> Jay, because it's never shorter, right? Never shorter. Never shorter. Uh, but this is my friend A.T. Uh, A.T. is going to share with us a little bit this morning. Um, he's not the best golfer in the world, uh, but he is a great friend, and he loves the Lord. And so, um, A.T., why don't you begin with you know, telling us about you, your family, and how you got a chance to be a part of North. Yeah, so uh, I'm from Arizona, A.T. Holder, named after my dad's dad. We switch names all the time, so my son is Tommy. Uh, he's three. Uh, my daughter, her name is Kuiper. She's one. And my beautiful bride over there is Crystal. And how old is she? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she's 33. And she gets more beautiful every year, I swear. Um, I, I found North Bible Church through Larry Anderson. I was going to Fuller Theological Seminary, and he was one of my professors. And he started talking about North and the vision, the, the heartbeat of North. And it was different than what I've heard, and it was so much based off of community. And part of my theological education was doing an internship, and it wasn't hard to say, I want to, I want to intern at North. I want to get plugged in here and see what it's like. So I got to, in 2015, uh, work at the church for a year and just cycle through the programs and learn about church ministry and learn that I really want to be a missionary and not at the church, but in the best way, of course. Uh, yeah, and what ended up happening at North was we, we found a family, a church family. We found a place that no matter where we go in the world, we feel excited to come back. Uh, sometimes church abroad is difficult. Um, and coming back here and just being able to, to worship and to be in fellowship and meet friends um, is a big deal to us. It's also a big deal knowing that when bad things happen, when we need prayer. A quick email gets spread out to the church, and we have people who are just joining us and lifting up the, the hard things and, and the good things. Yeah. So you and your family are involved in anti-trafficking work. Uh, how, did, how did that come to be for you guys? We were finishing seminary and praying about, God, where, where can we serve you in the world? And the we got a, a, a message from Janet Nevins. Uh, Chris and Janet run Field of Mission. They're part of the church. And 
It said, hey, we're going down to Ecuador to work with survivors. Uh, if you guys want to come, your trip's paid for. And when you're a missionary trying to figure out where to go and someone says, hey, you have a free trip somewhere, that's like, okay, God, we'll, uh, we'll go. Um, we went down, and it was two months later we moved. Two months later, God provided funding, and we were in Ecuador, in Quito. Uh, my wife got to work directly with survivors of sex trafficking, and I got to work on building a, a residential home for the kids. Um, six months into it, some of the staff had to get shifted around at the organization, and Crystal was actually running the day-to-day -day, uh, of the center there. Um, for a girl who was just learning Spanish, it was so cool to see how she could just thrive and love them so well. And once the, the project was about completed and we were actually six months pregnant, it was a good time we can break away and head back to the States. And whew, the, <clears throat> yeah, the kids that we were working with, they're young as eight years old in Ecuador. And the stories were stuff that keeps you awake at night. Um, so we came back and weren't sure where we were going in life, but we realized, like, this is, this is our new calling. Um, let's figure out how to fight trafficking. Let's figure out how to be a part of God's restoration process. And so we thought, okay, we can, we, let's look around Latin America, and we found nothing being done but that one center. And we thought, okay, we can go plant something tomorrow, but Lord, teach us first. Like, get, open up an opportunity to work under one of the best organizations in the world, under their leadership, and let us learn so we can actually go do this right. Uh, a position through Agape International Mission opened up under the founder. I would be his assistant. And they knew exactly what we wanted to do. Um, they, unfortunately, don't speak Spanish in Cambodia, so that was a bit of a hiccup. Um, but it was, it was exactly what we were praying for, and God was so faithful in it, even looking back two years later, or three years at this point. So 2015, you got involved here at North, went on some mission trips, and you drilled a well or two in Guatemala, I believe it was. Uh, then you, you got connected with the Nevins family with Fuel the Mission, who is a, it's a ministry that North is involved with, currently supporting, uh, has been for several years. So you served in Ecuador for two years? Uh, a year. A year. Finished that project. Uh, yeah. And then you got connected with AIM. So tell us, about, tell us about AIM, Agape International Ministry. Yeah, so when I say, like, the, the best in the world, uh, the numbers and the impact they made on the country speaks volumes to why that is. Uh, they have over 400 Cambodians on staff at Agape. They only started in 2005, but they really are focused on, a, a, they call it a holistic model. It's rescuing, restoring, reintegrating, and preventing. It's trying to break a whole cycle of sex trafficking. Um, but the the beginning is, a, is rescue. There was an organization in Cambodia that was actually rescuing, and they were compromised. Uh, we were trying to do rescues. We found where the girls are, and we'd show up, and they would be moved. And so 
my, my boss, the founder, had this idea. He said, let's just go to the anti-trafficking police force and pitch this. So he went and met them and said, hey, we'll pay for the investigations. We'll have some of the police on contract. We'll come work at our office. Uh, we'll pay for whatever expenses come up. We'll figure it out. And a miracle happened that day, and they said yes. So for years now, all the, uh, all the raids were going through Agape. Uh, they've actually rescued over 1,500 people from trafficking already uh, in a short amount of time. My, a good friend of mine, he's from Scotland, and he worked in Scotland Yard. Uh, he runs this program, and I think of him as like the Jason Bourne of Scotland. Um, he kind of needs subtitles when he talks, though, like even if you speak English. But it's just a really cool program. The, the, the next step in the process is restoration. The, you can never rescue a kid without having a place for them to go. When you're being sold and awful things happening to you, you might have a little bit of hope. Hope that maybe God can pull you out of it. But if you're rescued and there's no place to go, you end up back in that same place, and that little hope that you had is gone. The average life expectancy for a survivor is seven years of someone who's in this. Um, so we always have to have a place for somebody to go. It's almost the first step. Even before rescue, you have to have a place. So we have a restoration home. We have actually three. Um, the biggest houses 65 girls, ages 2 to 19. Um, don't miss that. Like, there's super young kids that terrible things happen to. Uh, it, the capacity is about 65, but we, we say yes to whoever God brings. So there's been a case where 30 kids, 30 women needed a place. Um, and so a 65 capacity is now much, much bigger. Yeah, so the, the Restoration Center, we, they have counseling. They have um, social workers that are assigned to them for the rest of their life. They have house moms that love them. But just because it's a great program, uh, that doesn't speak to the greatness of what happens. At aftercare programs, there's not a lot of good statistics out there. This isn't something that people do a lot of or share a lot of, but it's about four out of five people go back into sex work. Um, it's a 80% recidivism rate. And so you're looking at that number and saying, wow, that's not very hopeful. But through the last 15 years, Agape has looked at theirs, and it's 3%. Like, you can say we have great programs. You can say there's great stuff happening, but I tell you the truth, it is about Jesus. It's about people... Sorry. It's about people being transformed, um, finding the hope that we have, and there's just no compromising that fact. Um, that's why Christian aftercare is such a passion for us. So you're speaking of Cambodia, um, and then you, know, you have to res rescue them, but before that you have to have a place for them to go, and uh, that would be the you know, restoration process. And so what are, what are the next steps in that holistic process that, that AIM brings to the table? Yeah, so next is reintegration. Uh, you're trying to prepare people to go back into society, go back into the world. So there's vocational training. Uh, there's some kids, if you get a kid at nine years old, maybe you could get him caught up in school again. But you get an illiterate 16-year-old, her options are going to be much different. And so we, we actually have 
three factories that do garment work. Um, if anyone ever needs screen printing done, I got a source. Like, you can give these people jobs. You can give these women jobs. They found about $150 a month in salary is enough where they won't go back. 150 and it goes a little higher than that. Um, they get self-respect. They can help their family. Uh, that'll, that'll break the cycle. And then, just like anything, um, rescues are very expensive. Restoring a girl could be about $1,000 a month. But prevention, that dollar goes way further. So we've actually uh, impacted about over 11,000 people with prevention work. And that looks like uh, we have a church operating in what used to be the destination point to buy kids. We built a ch church there and it just changed the whole community. Uh, we, we built a school there and started giving worth to the kids. We built a kickboxing gym where pimps and traffickers are invited in. Um, a quick story, there was a, a guy who was selling his sisters uh, and doing far worse to them as well. And the police got called and it became a big shame on him and his family. And he went to the kickboxing gym and the coach sat down with him and said, look, look at the name above the gym. It's called the Lord's Gym. If this was my gym, maybe it'd be different. But because this is the Lord's Gym, you always have a place here. God is always opening the door to you. Um, so we have like 40 guys who've given up selling people and being vict uh, victimizers to learning how to be real men and use the strength God's given them. Um, there's other programs. We have emergency foster centers, so if there's problems in the community, we can take the kids in quickly. Uh, yeah, there's kids clubs. There's community outreach. There's humanitarian aid that's really big right now with the COVID and people not getting food. Um, but prevention goes a long way into not even letting kids get to a place where they will be victims. So for the last two years, AT and Crystal and their family have been in Cambodia training, learning to to take this model to another country and facilitate all the things that we are, are talking about. And he got a chance to learn under the founder who's been doing this for 15 years. And so tell us what the next step is for you guys going forward. Yeah, we, uh, we finished our contract and didn't really want to leave. Not that we have a huge heart for um, the country of Cambodia, but we learned to love the people there. And we, learned, we had community. And so we were thinking, okay, do we extend? And we met with the leadership, and we were 99% sure we were staying. And within four days, we were 100% sure we were leaving. They told us, my, my, uh, my boss's name is Don Brewster. He sat down with me and said, you guys are ready. Like, you're ready to go back. You're ready to start something. And we believe that to be true as well. Uh, we didn't exactly want that to be true, but we knew it was true. And so we tried to figure out where is next? God, where are you leading? Where is, it, where is some place in the world where nothing is being done or very little is being done? Where do we not step on other people's feet by trying to do this? Uh, and then in October, I'm in, we're in Phnom Penh, and a guy hears about one of our ideas of Belize. And so he calls me, meet him at his hotel. He's a, a supporter of Agape, of AIM, and he said, hey, I've been, I've been in Belize for five years now, trying to get something going. I don't have a lot, but here's all my connections. Here's all my contacts. I have a, we have a proposal of what it looks like to run an aftercare center with a budget and all that. He sends it over, and they say yes. 
They said, we, we want them. Uh, AIM originally was just going to be our resource. 15 years of experience where you can call up any of our friends on the phone and say, hey, what do you do about this problem? Or what do you do in this situation? And eventually they moved to, no, we, we want to plant you guys there. Uh, so we, we actually went down January and February to follow the contacts to see what the Lord was doing. And they were true. We found that we can have legal status to start housing girls. And we found a way where we can start rescuing girls, rescuing them tomorrow. I, I, with my, my contacts down there, I sit down with them and I say, okay, we have an idea for a 24 capacity center. How fast can we fill this up? And they look at me and they say, tomorrow. And I think, that, that, was, that was, you know, seven months ago, that tomorrow. It's a, a heavy burden to continue to carry. And I know God has his timing. I know also he doesn't need us to do this. Um, but I also have a heart for those 24 kids. And there's been a lot of blessings in this time, too, where I actually could be in front of you all right now and say, hey, look what the Lord is doing. That, that meeting in October and meeting our connections and that legal status, I had like a five-year plan of how to get something going. That shaved three to four years off of my plan. To actually network and be able to do that in the country uh, is a miracle in itself, let alone for it to already be upon us. So what, in addition to the connections that you have in Belize, um, what, what is the first thing you, you'll do when you, when you get the go-ahead, you know, the borders, yeah. or you're able to fly in there, um, what, what, what are the first few steps? So the border opening of the country has already moved once, and they moved it now to October 1st. Doesn't make any sense, but we believe God's going to get us there by the end of October. If it doesn't happen, that's okay. Like, I'm not making a promise. I'm just saying this is where I feel God's leading us. Uh, from the day we land, I think it'll be eight months till we can start having kids come in. Finding a place, training staff. Uh, I think we could do that in six months. We already have a pool of candidates of staff that we can hire and to fill the, to actually start running the aftercare. Uh, we have uh, even opportunities at different places that we can use temporarily to get these things going. Um, so our prayer is, Lord, open, open the door, open, open that airport. Let's get down there and get to work. Now, so North is, um, interestingly, North has been involved in Belize for several years now. For the last seven years or so, we've taken about 75 people, I think, total from North down to Belize. Belize is accessible. Uh, it's mostly English speaking. It's about a four-hour flight uh, to get there, and so I have the vision for being able to support AT uh, in this way as as we go forward. Um, and so it's very accessible for North. It's a part of North DNA already in the sense that we've been serving down there. And so uh, as you kind of uh, tell us about your specific needs, you know, your your funding, your specific needs, how can we be praying for you? Let us know about that. And then also, has there been a uh, maybe a Bible passage or a verse or a, a person in Scripture that's really encouraged you along the way. Yeah, so <laughs> there's all, God's constantly encouraging us in different biblical passages, but 
at the men's study here at North, we were studying Acts and looking at Paul. And I've really had to, to wrestle a bit because you look at Paul and he's not letting anything get in the way. Like he stops at nothing to share the gospel and to go out and meet people. He's in prison and eventually goes to his death to do this, right? And whew, I feel like, I believe that Crystal and I are at that place. That we'll do whatever it takes to go and rescue these kids. It's not the safest place to bring our kids to, but we walk and just surrender and say, God, we trust you. And whatever it takes to follow you, we're in. Um, and it's scary and it hurts, but it's also very liberating. So tell us about uh, how North can come oh, alongside. Yeah. Um, right now there's, I mentioned the size of the Cambodian operation. Um, right now there's one family going to Belize, and you guys know who they are. There's not a lot of us going right now. Um, but I've been, I've been having the chance to meet with people and talk to them and say, hey, first, I want this to break your heart as it breaks ours. I want you to see God moving and what's possible. Um, we're going to need people. We're going to need people to come down, encourage our family, come down, encourage our staff, come down and get involved in different ways. I'm so excited to... I mean, this guy's the, the missions guy here. For him to bring a team of you all down and join us in that way, uh, to be in so much prayer, God's already done so much and will continue, but that's because people like you are on their knees asking God for his favor in this. Uh, the, the operating budget for this aftercare center is about $150,000. We're trying to get two years operating budget. I'm not concerned. Uh, seeing God build buildings without any money, seeing him constantly provide. It's one person writing that check, but it's also a whole bunch of people's hearts being affected by this and saying, how do I join? How do I get involved in this? What can we do? And that budget to get things started, that 150 covers what, what of those, those tenants of what AIM does, what, what does that cover? It'll be an aftercare for 24 girls. We found with an aftercare of 65, the amount of people you go up does diminish the cost a bit, but not enough to justify the amount of human drama that takes place. If you go under 24, you find it getting very expensive. So 24 is our first aftercare center. You've seen uh, a little bit of what AIM does, and that is the goal. The goal is to end this. Uh, but the first step is getting a place of refuge, a sanctuary. Thanks for sharing with us today. We're going to finish um, this portion of, of the message today with another video. And this is the founder of AIM telling you a little bit more specifically um, about the, what they do and how we can get involved. Uh, thank you, AT, so much for being here. Would you guys give him a hand? You know, one of the reasons that we have these Sundays where we invite missionaries to come and to, and to share what's going on in their lives and what God is doing through their lives is to catch up with our friends, 
right, to stay on the same page, to be in community together. Uh, but it is also to have an opportunity to be encouraged about what God is doing in places in the world that probably most of us have never been to before. It reminds us of how big God is and what he does. And then it is also a challenge and an invitation to get involved and to be a part of this. And so as you were watching the videos, as you were hearing AT's testimonies, you were hearing what they were doing and their plans for what God has put on their hearts, I hope that there was uh, an invitation that you felt to be a part of this, to partner with them. Maybe it was to pray, maybe it was to encourage them in some way, but maybe it was to invest in this so that they have the resources to do what they feel and they believe that God has called them to do. In, I mean, I don't know how much you know about uh, sex trafficking, but it is one of the biggest issues in our world today. Um, and it is, one, it is the epitome of evil in our world today. And so I want to encourage you to think through that. If God was prompting you during this time, don't ignore that prompting. Because it's easy at times when we hear stuff like this, we get, we get prompted and we're, we're in church and things happen, and then it's easy to just kind of allow that to slide by the wayside, and then distractions come and we forget all about it. And so allow God to move you in whatever direction you feel like he is moving you. Um, so thank you again for sharing what you guys are doing and what, you, what God has called you to do in, in Belize. We're going to take communion here in just a couple of minutes. And so if you haven't had a chance to grab one of the communion packs, we have some in the back of the room. Now would be the time to grab one. Uh, we're going to do that in a couple of minutes. You can get up even while I'm talking. Don't worry about that. Make sure you get your communion kits. And if at home uh, you haven't had a chance to get your elements, whatever those things may be, the juice, the Gatorade, uh, bread, crackers, whatever it is you're, you're going to use for the elements, uh, make sure you grab those right now. But I want to just say a couple things about communion and as we're continue, as we're talking as we're on this theme of mission we're going to continue this topic of mission as we go through communion because when we take communion it's obviously a reminder of a lot of significant things about what Jesus has done what Jesus has said who Jesus is and one of those things though that it reminds us of is the mission of Jesus I don't know how many times we think about this when we come to communion but there is a mission implicit in the call to the communion table one of the most significant and memorable sections in all of Scripture, in particular in the Gospels, is what we know as the farewell discourse. It's, it happens in John 13 through John 17. It's often referred to as a farewell discourse because this is the time when Jesus is preparing the disciples for the fact that he is going to be um, arrested and crucified later on that evening. Because he's in the upper room with his disciples. We know the scene, probably know the scene well. This is when the Lord institutes the Lord's Supper or communion. This is when he washes the feet of the disciples. This is when, he's this is when Judas is called out as the betrayer. All those things is hap are happening. When he enjoys the Passover meal with them. And this, from John chapter 13 through 17, is what Jesus says to the disciples. We know it as a farewell discourse, but it's more than Jesus just saying goodbye or farewell to the disciples. Actually, what he's doing is preparing them for what is going to happen when he ultimately leaves. And they're still there on the earth without him physically present with them. And so we realize as the disciples begin to process what's going on here, we see them get upset. And it's natural for them to get upset. Their friend, their rabbi has just told them that he's going to leave them and that he's going to be crucified and all these awful things are going to happen. And so they're upset personally. But they also seem to be upset for a different reason. We see this happen with Peter in particular when Jesus says, I'm going to be arrested and crucified and taken by the Romans. Peter objects and he says, Lord, that's not going to happen. And you may remember how Jesus responds to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, which is a really unusual way to respond to something like that. But what Jesus recognizes is that what Peter had in mind was not what God had in mind for Jesus. 
The disciples were expecting a king who was going to be kind of a military king, maybe a political power king that would overthrow the Roman oppression, but Jesus' kingdom was completely different. In reality, what Jesus was helping them to see is that this kingdom was not of this world, that this church, this mission, would continue the mission of Jesus, but this mission was not to be a mission that would conquer the world through political power or military might, that it would actually move through the world by redemptively loving and serving the world in the name of Jesus and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus' kingdom. And there's a piece, I'm going to read a piece from John chapter 14, where we really see Jesus preparing the disciples for what's to happen. And this is the this is the kind of the early seeds of what the church is supposed to be. John chapter 14, verse 25 says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before, it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now these are words of Jesus preparing the disciples for what's to happen. They're going to continue life without him physically being there with them. But that doesn't mean they should cower in fear. That doesn't mean they should go some remote place and just wait for Jesus to come back. Instead, they're to continue the mission of Jesus that Jesus has already begun among them through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So after Jesus says these things in the upper room, he does things like tell them, hey, we're going to participate in communion, and this is what this represents. And then he washes their feet and says, this is how you're to love and to serve one another. And then he prays for them. And what we know is the high priestly prayer that happens in John chapter 17. This is the last thing that Jesus does for the disciples. He prays for them. And there's, there's these personal, really moving words that Jesus prays. But more than anything, if you read that prayer in John chapter 17, it acts a lot like a prayer of commissioning. That these are disciples who are being sent out into the world on mission to continue the same mission that Jesus began among them. And so as Jesus was establishing communion, and it's meaning that very first time. This is the context with which he's establishing it. Yes, we come to the table because of Jesus' salvation on our behalf. We remember that the body is broken and the blood is spilled for our salvation. This gives us a common redemption, a common salvation. Because of that, we come to the table as heirs in Christ, where our identity is in him, so we have a common identity together. We also have common fellowship as we're reconciled with the Father. So we are reconciled around this table as a common community. And then finally, we're given a common mission to live out together as the church. Whether we're in Scottsdale or whether we're in Belize, we are partners in that mission to the ends of the earth. And so from time to time, we need to be reminded of the mission of the church. In fact, I would say constantly, we need to be reminded of the mission of the church. And one of the ways we do that is by hearing stories about what God is doing through people like the holders all over the world. And one of the ways we do it, believe it or not, is by participating in communion. And so as Jesus prepared his disciples 2,000 years ago on that night for him leaving them, but leaving them with a mission, we look back on that night, we're reminded that we have the same mission as the church today. So we come to the table with a common mission. 
I'm going to ask you to go ahead and pull out your uh, communion elements now. I'm going to read through Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 29. This is Matthew recording Jesus' words as he establishes the Lord's Supper. We're going to stop and take, as, he, as we do this, as we read through this, I'm going to stop and, and, uh, and, and take, the, take the bread and take the cup as we read through it. So have those ready to go. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 says this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I want to invite the band to come back on stage. We're going to sing one last song together as we close out in worship as a song of response. And as I do, I want to invite you to pray with me. Father, we are, we are blown away by this mission that you have given us to the ends of the earth. We know that um, just to think about the scope of what that means puts us in a place where we know that we are completely relying upon you to do this. But we uh, are amazed, at least I, I'm standing here amazed that you include us in this. As A.T. said, you don't need us to do this, but you choose us and you allow us to do this as a part of your provision for our life, but also as a part of giving us joy. Allowing us to be a part of our master's work is actually a call to joy. And so we pray, Lord, that as we would see that, whatever that looks like for us, in whatever way you have spoken to us, Lord, continue to speak to us. Allow this concern about what it means for those who are lost, who don't know Jesus, to come to a saving faith in him. Allow uh, all that we've talked about this morning from young children being exploited in horrible, unimaginable, evil ways to sink deep into our hearts. Lord, I pray it wouldn't leave until it bears fruit in what you you mean for it to be. And so if that's for us to join with prayer, faithfully with the holders, if it is uh, to look at our resources and see how can we help resource this project and this ministry and this mission, allow us the faith, gift us the faith to be able to follow you in that way. And Lord, we thank you in the end that all things are in your hands and all things have been given to us by you. And thank you that we can faithfully follow in that and give them back to you. As we come to the communion table, Lord, we know that this call from Jesus is a call to die, to lay down our lives and to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We pray, Lord, you'd give us the faith to do that as well. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Thank you, A.T. and Crystal, for being here this morning and sharing with us. Give them a hand again, guys. Get out from back.
I got to say, one of the things I've, I learned from you this morning is that awesome line about your wife. She gets more and more beautiful every year. So if I have permission to use that, can I use that? It's uh, oh, okay. All right. It's, it's okay. That's even better. Look at that. That's wow. You're smooth, man. <laughs> All right. So, hey, want to remind you guys, thank you again for being here. Uh, be praying for the holders. Uh, I, AT, is there a way that we can connect with you guys? Uh, I'm sure you guys have some stuff that you're going to be able to, to hand out. We'll follow up with some Facebook posts on our Facebook site as well. If you want to connect with the holders afterwards and talk to them directly about their needs and how you can be praying for them, we're going to be sending out that information this coming week. So you'll get that. You can also talk to AT and Crystal after the service today. So thank you again for being here. We want to remind you next week, we are starting into a new series called A Perfect Union. We're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, verse by verse, all the way through. It's going to carry us through November. So we hope you'll join us next week. Look forward to seeing you then. Have a great week. Be blessed. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.